Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. It's Rob Moore here and I am with Jeanette Linfoot and Jeanette Linfoot is with me. You might be seeing us on Jeanette's profiles or my profiles. Um, I am very privileged because Jeanette is interviewing me for the 100th episode of Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Her podcast, brilliant podcast called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. And this will be the 100th episode so I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it for your podcast. <laughs> the show is yours. I am your victim. Hit me. Excellent. Yeah. Right, the first time Rob is my victim. I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, honestly, thank you so much, Rob. It is brilliant to have you on Brave Bowl Brilliant, of course. So 100th episode is quite a milestone for me. Yeah, it's big. So I'm excited. Big. I'm excited. Big. But Rob, you have been interviewed so many times by many people have done this a few times so what i'm really interested in is the hidden gems the bits behind rob moore that maybe are not so well known to people so normally i would start these podcast interviews with people talking about their journey your journey is pretty well known so what i would like you to do if you don't mind is if you could pull out a few things of your journey that are not so well known to the outside world and how those aspects have kind of influenced you through your life, career and business that people might not know so much about. OK, I'm a one face of Peterborough 1999. <laughs> hey, pin up. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> uh, right. Um, I've got 100 percent at GCSER, I was, uh, according to my tutors. I don't know how you get 100% of GCSE art because it's subjective, of course, but I got 100% of GCSE art. Um, so sometimes people pick up that I'm quite creative uh, and I've got quite a creative background. I'm into, into a lot of creative things, yep. um, which maybe a lot of entrepreneurs aren't necessarily known for. Um, so maybe people don't know that about me. Uh, I'm a massive fan of data. So... I guess people would probably perceive me to be quite um, sh shooting from the hip, sharp, quick shooter, you know, start now, get perfect later, um, beg for forgiveness, don't ask for permission, being disruptive, which I think are all important values mm. if you want to make waves and make things happen. But I don't just do that without thought. Um, and I think that um, you cannot master what you do not measure. And so I've been obsessive over the last 15 years on getting data for everything we do. And as we've got bigger, it's got harder to get the right data sets because you've got layers of levels of management and wastage and people who hide and cover things up or don't track things. Or you just have so many assets that are built that you take your eye off the ball mm. um, testing them. So, I mean, there's certain metrics I've always taught people. Lifetime client value, maximum acquisition cost. Um which a lot of people don't even know what that means. Everyone knows about cost per click, cost per lead, cost per conversion, 
um, you know, how to make a self-liquidating offer or ROAS return on ad spend. Um, but I like to track all the, the data down the line. Like, for example, there's a lot of our assets online that aren't being A-B split tested. Every single ad page should be A-B split tested and you should always be trying to beat your best ad. Um, and I learned this 15 years ago from Perry Marshall. And now that, I mean, we had 92 staff up there in our training company before the lockdown. I think we've got 76 now. And, but then when you have the letting agency over there, yeah, yeah. which is ours, we must have nearly 90. And a lot of this isn't necessarily being done. But then a lot of the team are new or newer when I, than when I was, you know, marching on this. And um, right now, and this has been taking a long while, but it's only because of resource, we're having a, a fully bespoke dashboard written, which pulls data from all of our um, fractious systems and software onto this one dashboard where I can get number of calls each person's doing in our sales team, you know, number of leads being generated minute by minute for all the different verticals. We have dozens of verticals, business models, courses, programs. So I guess people would perceive I'm a bit flippant and, and quick and, and maybe not careful on the data. I spent four hours on Sunday reading my, uh, about a 60 page marketing report. And um, I've taught myself to enjoy that because I think, you know, being able to go through and read all the data in your company, like you'll know from balance sheet, profit and loss, mm. budgets, forecasts. Um, you know, I've been reading profit and loss statements, management accounts for 10 years, and I still wouldn't, don't fully, fully understand them yeah. and some, some line items that are in them or whatever. Um, so people definitely don't know that about me. And the great thing about tracking data is it takes away opinion and people covering their arse and conjecture and wastage and, and even the ability or the need to manage. Like if we're looking at a report, you and I, and the report, we talk about the report and we comment on the report and the report shows what the report shows. Mm. I can't defend it if it's there in plain sight and data. So it stops all that posturizing and time wasting between us. Yeah. Um, what else do people not, not know about me? I, th I think they don't understand how much I care. Mm. Um, you know, you probably do. I'm very quick to respond to all my clients, uh, you know, think about them a lot, try and help them a lot. Not perfect, of course. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't need, don't, not saying this for sympathy, but I had a, a completely wipeout migraine yesterday and I still did my interview with Michael Calasperas because I knew that that would have um, ruined his schedule if I'd have changed that, even though I couldn't fucking see how one, <laughs> I couldn't see on one side of my face. And you asked me, how am I feeling now? And then, blah, blah, the teeth are a bit numb and still feeling a bit sick. But um, I think you get the opportunity to show the world who you really are when it's difficult. I remember interviewing Ed Milet and he'd just been told that his dad had got cancer and he still showed up and did the, yeah. the podcast interview when he could have easily just cancelled that. So I, I care a lot, sometimes a bit too much. You know, on the other side of that, I, I've sort of shaken off over the last year or so or years concern for what people think about me because the ultimate freedom is not caring what anybody thinks about you. But also, if you don't care about what people think about you, you also don't care about your customers, your clients, your followers and your fans. And therefore, there's distance between them. So getting that balance right of really caring and looking after your clients, your followers, your fans. And also, I don't need your approval to go and do what I'm going to do with my life.
So the, maybe there's a few things people don't necessarily <laughs> there's, a, there's quite a bit in there, actually, which is cool. So let's talk about the, the business side, because you're right. Sometimes everyone's focused on the glamorous stuff, the marketing, the new product launches, the service delivery, and all that kind of activity. But you're right. A lot of the sometimes the most important things are having the foundations right in the business. You know, the data, the stats, the systems, the processes to be able to scale and grow. And you're all about growth and scaling up as am I actually in my businesses as well. Um, so, so in order to shake up a sector and disrupt as, as you, you know, the, the disruptive entrepreneur in your brand, um, I think sometimes what people mistake is that you can't scale up or disrupt if the foundations are really rocky to start off with. So I think that data point you made is really, really valid, Rob. So if we're thinking about scaling up a business or disrupting a sector, let me take disruption first, actually. What sectors do you think, from a business point of view, are being really disruptive at the moment? It doesn't have to be in your space that you sort of think, oh, yeah, actually, they're really shaking things up. Because I think that's where opportunities often come, in particular at a time like we're facing during COVID or recession. It's the disruptive businesses that look at things differently, that have the opportunity to, to scale up and grow on the back of those solid foundations of data that you spoke about. So disruptive sectors. OK, so there's about three things in there I'll pick out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily agree that you can't disrupt if you don't have solid foundations. In an ideal world, you'd have solid foundations to disrupt. But I don't think in the early days of Netflix and Uber and Airbnb that they necessarily did have all the no, assets no. and systems and processes in place. I think you know that that's the panacea because, you know, you've got massive corporate experience. At the end of the day, sometimes you have to start before you're ready and sometimes you have to make waves even though you haven't got those solid foundations, because I'm a believer that sometimes opportunity comes when you're not quite ready, but you need to be ready. Um, so if you're waiting for those foundations to be in place, you may miss very timely opportunities. So I just challenge that. And I know what you meant, but honestly, when we've gone into new areas, we've not been ready start now, get perfect later. <laughs> um, I, I think having the confidence, the volition and the belief that you can build things as you go is a good quality to have as an entrepreneur because sometimes that's what you have to do because you don't always know what you're building. You know that there's an opportunity, a niche, a sector, but you haven't figured it all out yet and, and you've almost got to build it as you go rather than build it before mm. you go. Um, of course, that's not an excuse for being careless. I think something my team misunderstand, like, like going back to the initial question, something else. I'm a very forgiving person. And I can, I can move on pretty well if you fuck me over. Um, because one, you've got your reasons. Two, I'm no you know, patron saint of you know, martyrdom. Mm. Those who judge, have a look in the mirror, and I know I'm a human being, but also I'm the one that suffers if I don't forgive someone. Or And what right have I got to forgive them? If I've got to forgive them, I'm the one that's trapped. 
So I move on quickly from stuff. Usually, you know, sometimes we all have things which last a bit longer than we'd like. But but sometimes I think my team mistake that chaos or that speed of moving on for things for it's okay to make mistakes. I am pretty forgiving of mistakes. But then sometimes I go, that was a stupid fucking mistake. <laughs> you didn't need to make that mistake. Don't throw my words back in my face. Yes, work quickly, but you, you, can, you can be good and quick. So, you, you know, you can, there's so many myths out there of rules um, and you can be good and quick and some mistakes are okay, but, but not too many. So um, if any of my team are watching, just because we're quick doesn't mean you can fuck up all the time. Um, so, right. So now back to your, your question on industries being disruptive. Well, look, there's a load of industries I'm just not interested in. So I'm sure there's a load of industries out there that are ripe for disruption or being disrupted, mm. but I can't study the whole world. In the world, the worlds that I'm in, obviously most of retail is being big time disrupted. And I remember Gerald Ratner, who had the biggest jewellery business in Europe. He's a friend of mine. Um, and I know you mentor with him on um, Business Mastermind Academy. He said to me quite a few years ago when retail looked like it was started to be in trouble next to online. And um, he had an online jewellery business at the time. And he said, retail will have to develop by creating experience, not just, you know, selling stuff in a shop. And like, if you go down Bond Street now, like the amount they've spent on upgraded Bond Street and you go into McQueen, which is my favorite, and it's, it's an experience that you get given champagne and you're treated like a VIP. I had to sign a waiver. Um, I had to sign an NDA to see the new collection. And that's just freaking marketing. That's just like giving me, yeah. it's, it's fucking clever, actually. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I can't say anything. I'm NDA by McQueen on the new collection. But, you know. It's an experience. And, and some of the big brands are absolutely killing it. You know, you write about Lamborghini. Lamborghini absolutely killing it. Mm. You do your business reports each week. And so um, retail, at probably the high end, has probably been disrupted. And, and, and creating a brand and a luxury, I think you probably circumvent any lockdown or, or recession. So retail, that's being disrupted online. Um Social media, well, media, actually, because if you think about it, 30 years ago, a couple of old white men owned most of media across the world. Yeah. yeah and true. if you think of people like Robert Maxwell and um, Rupert Murdoch, massive media control. Now, a 10 year old can go on YouTube, 10 million views. Put that in your pipe, Murdoch, and smoke <laughs> it. <laughs> Nothing against any of those guys, by the way, just making examples. But a 10 year old kid. Or a six-year-old kid. There's um, he's probably eight or nine now. But that kid Ryan on Ryan Toys Review, I mean, twenty-seven million dollars last year on a YouTube channel. Incredible. Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast. My son watches Mr. Beast, and he's like, "Daddy, your YouTube's not as big as Mr. Beast." No, it's not. <laughs> and like, makes tens of millions a year. Podcasters killing it. Joe Rogan got a hundred million dollars. Uh, to basically license his content to Spotify. Um, now, now, by the way, this is not just celebrities. I was going to say Megan and Harry. They've got, you know, decamillion deals on Spotify and Netflix, I'm sure. But Stephen Dubner, who wrote Freakonomics, got a, I think he sold out for six million. My friend Johnny Dumas, I've been on his podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire. He's been on mine. He got a seven-figure deal on HubSpot. And these, are, these, aren't, these aren't household names. So media is being disrupted by social media. You're now a media company. 
you're in, this used to be one of our little training rooms for, for property training. Mm. Now it's a studio. Uh, you know, and we like, we've got live stream equipment. We've got three cameras here and, you know, we've got the screens and we got the desk and we've got the, um, the editing desk behind it and we can multi-stream across all channels. So you're a media company. I'm a media company. My podcast is now a radio show. My YouTube is now a TV show. Um, and, you know, people bitch and moan about social media. If you ever find yourself bitching and moaning about social media, it's you that's got to change. People on social media bitching and moaning about social media. And instead of scrolling and deb debating and complaining and arguing and defending and justifying, start putting content out there in your niche and start building your audience. Mm. Because 30 years ago, you had to have a TV ad, a radio ad, a newspaper ad or a magazine ad, and that would have cost you tens of thousands of pounds. Now you can pay 20 pence a click, 20 cents a click, and you can go straight to your ideal clients through Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, podcast, you name it. So media is big time being disrupted. Um, and that's really exciting. Quite a bit in there. That'll do. That'll do. Yeah. So play a game with me. So given all of that, if you lost everything overnight and you had to start again, what business would you choose? Well, if I lost everything overnight and start again, I'd go and find Melinda Gates and I'd marry her. She's just... <laughs> you can't marry Melinda Gates. I should have put a Melinda. caveat. Melinda! <laughs> yeah. Never knew no, Rob sorry, had the hearts for Melinda Gates. There you go. It's an exclusive. Um, no, but seriously, if you were having to sort of, you know, say you did lose everything overnight, um, it's a bit of a, 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 a what-if scenario. What business would you go into? Would you go into what you've already been in, in terms of property, education, you know, all the social media and podcasting media side of things? Or would you choose something totally different, given the backdrop of what you just talked about in terms of sure. opportunity? Okay, well, I think people ask me a lot, what business should they get into? And I think the first fundamental thing before anything else is, could I enjoy this and see myself doing this for a long time? Yeah. So I'm not going to jump into a business model for a quick buck. Like, oh, let's, you know, let's, let's buy a load of mines and do crypto mining. Well, I don't mind sticking 5% of my wealth into crypto, but it, it doesn't excite me. Um, it's interesting, but it doesn't excite me. Yeah. If it excites you, then put half your time in it. Yeah. So that's caveat number one, yeah. because I'm going to say what I'm interested in and people are maybe going to go, oh, I'm going to get into that business model. But if you're not interested in it, there's no point. So business models I personally think are exciting right now, e-commerce. I mean, you know, the internet is only 30-odd years old, and therefore e-commerce is only 20-odd years old. And look how quickly it's made Jeff Bezos the richest man on, on the planet. Yeah. And you don't have to go anywhere and look how quickly things get delivered now and think about, you know, all the drone technology that might come. I mean, that's such an exciting space, e-commerce. And you can do it in your living room, mm -hmm. you know, in your, in your tracksuit, whatever. No stock, no overhead, no staff premises, all that kind of stuff. That's exciting. Information. Like um, right now, people need education. Across the, the world, there's a pandemic of lack of implementable in, information, especially for entrepreneurs, because it's not really taught at school um, in, in the way that's yeah. real life. So anything you know, you do, you love, and you've got experiencing can be turned into a membership site a lead magnet, a pro product magnet, an online course, a subscription model, um, a masterclass, a mastermind, an academy, a retreat, and mentoring. So that's definitely really exciting for me. Anything, uh, the creator economy. So the creator economy, this is another kind of disruption, is 
you know, 30 or 40 years ago, labour was the main opportunity, i.e. you would be on the factory line or you'd mm. be in the coal mine or whatever. And now being a creative, an influencer, having information that guides people through this overwhelming technological world that we're in and gives them solutions and outcomes. This is a huge business now. This is almost like the creator economy is almost like the information age two or 3.0. Um, social media channels are all decentralized and fragmented and fighting. So, you know, Insta Facebook end up going and buying out all these challenges like WhatsApp and Instagram, Facebook buy them to try and sort of create this control and monopoly and then Clubhouse come in and then Facebook just set up. They've literally just beta tested their own version of Clubhouse. LinkedIn yesterday announced they're going to do yeah. something to compete with Clubhouse. So Clubhouse has got them all scrapping because a load of people have gone from LinkedIn and Facebook to Clubhouse because it's better virality and better user experience. So instead of improving their own platforms, um, not that they need to take any advice from me, but, um, you know, they just set up challenges or they might wait until it, you know, gets to a certain size and then buy it for six yeah. billion dollars or whatever. Um, and, and then you've got this audio influencer space right now where um, Clubhouse is a big thing. And then this Fireside that has just launched and then all these other social media platforms set up their own. Um, and then that lifts podcasting up. And of course, we're creating a podcast out of this. So um, I would definitely be in the creator space. And to be a creator, all you have to do is know something that others don't and find a way to share it in a, a way that's useful to other people. Mm. Whether that is to inform you, to inspire you, to entertain you, to move you, or to educate you. So th these are the spaces I'd be in if I lost it all and started again. To get started to make money, and then of course I'm parking all my money into property, yeah. because that's what we've done. I probably would get a bit more into disruptive technologies and currencies like cryptos, a bit more than I'd could have done. I mean, I've got, you know, a few percent of my wealth, not even 5% in some of these disruptive coins and, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other not so well-known ones. Um, but you can't do everything. You cannot <laughs> do everything. And you can look at everything and go, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Yeah. But really, you just got to take that energy and make sure that the next thing you're in on, I put all that energy into Clubhouse because YouTube missed the boat, Instagram missed the boat, Facebook missed the boat. When I say I missed the boat, I'm on, I'm in my boat with the big freaking boats over in the horizon. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Excellent. So some great ideas for everyone there. So coming back to your point you made, Rob, about your caring side of your personality and that when you're out there, you know, you're, you're confident, you're on your social media and a lot of people will know about your sort of story and, you know, your background as a kid and family situation and what have you. How do you reconcile the public you with the private you at home? And are there, are there two Rob Moores or is there one Rob Moore, but one's dialed up and one's dialed down? How does that play out in reality in your private space? I quite like being on my own and I never really used to and really feel like it's a, more of a strength to be comfortable in your own space. So I make sure that I have time on my own. Definitely in the mornings, get up at 5.30, get my coffee and have that good couple of hours. Just me. I, I built this studio and office above my garage and it's just away from everything. I think that helps. 
I don't really know who I am. I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone really does because some days I feel like I'm happy to show the world everything about me. And, and usually the content you get on social media is 98% what's going on. I mean, everyone's allowed a secret or a private life, of course. you know, and, <laughs> but even then I'm a bit of an oversharer, but you're getting 95% out there as you are behind closed doors. Um, and I think that that's very real and, and open. Um, but yeah, some days I like, I don't want anyone to see me. So I can be quite socially weird and awkward. Um, and it can be mood dependent. Where does that come from then, do you think? Those moments of needing to be on your own or a bit of time for yourself? I think it's just being a person. Like, I can sit here and analyse where it comes from, but surely we're all allowed to just have some alone time sometime and then... You know, everyone's telling us we've got to put ourselves out there on social media if we want to build our business, and I'll do what it takes to build my business. Like, I don't particularly love social media. I don't hate it. I've learned that it's a necessary part of me building my brand. Like, I never really liked email marketing. I never really liked Google ads. I'll learn to like something if I can grow my business. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Like, there is some, oh, just do what you love. And everything will be great. It's just about being happy. Just do what you No. Like, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to do a load of shit you don't want to do and not whinge and not moan and not complain. And if you do, no one gives a fuck anyway. And sometimes you've got to learn to enjoy something. So I think things that people perceive that maybe I enjoy, like, I fucking hate writing books now, but I'll get it done because I love having books. Yeah. I love selling books. I love being a best-selling author. I love it when people say, you know, Rob, you've written 18 books. That is pretty impressive. Even, you know, I'm not bragging, but not many people that have written that many books. And I, I've written all of them in 12 years. It's just one and a half books a year. That, so I like that bit. Just don't like writing books because <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And I, I think sometimes people are a bit, ideological about happiness like overall i love my business overall i love my life but i was just saying to tom tom was like how are you and i said pretty good some shit things happened today and some good things happened today and that's normal and every day there's good shit and bad shit in every day yeah um and you know some people deem this as negative nah, being being falsely positive is actually negative i was talking to ronnie o'sullivan about this and he said, I said to him, what's one thing in the world you want to change? And he says, all this false positivity. I hate it. You know, sometimes I want to be pissed off. Um, and not so much saying I want to be pissed off. Like, I know no one cares. But if you avoid the things that are hard or avoid some things that you don't enjoy, you are never going to be successful in your field. So the trick is learning to love it or learning to put up with it. So there's a lot of things people maybe perceive I love that, I just learned to mm. enjoy. Because um, what do I actually really love? Shagging. But, you know, like most people don't want to hear that. And I ain't going to make a living out of it. But I love that. I love listening to vinyl, but I'm never going to make any money out of that. I love going down to McQueen and buying clothes, but it's fucking expensive. So I need to go and make a load of money to do that. I don't really like socialising that much. And it's like, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't really like resting. I don't like sunbathing. I don't like just hanging out, having a drink all day. Oh, let's go and have a barbecue for the day. Let's just, 
Let's go on holiday. I don't like any of that shit. I like owning Lamborghinis and Ferraris. That's what I like. And it's not really that fashionable or cool. So I usually just keep quiet about it. <laughs> See, we're learning loads more about Rob Moore, the Rob Moore that you didn't know. No, this is great. And, and, you know, I think one of the tensions that a lot of business leaders, entrepreneurs face is this reconciliation between what you're doing for the business. And in your case, you, you are out there a lot on social media and you're driving the business forward and you've learned to love it and, and all of that good stuff. But then you might have... Um, tension at home. I'm not saying you do, but I know that times that I've had tension at home with between Chris and I, where it's like, oh, you're on social media again, you know, put the bloody phone down. How does that, does, is that an issue for you? And because well, I think it's for a lot of people. Let me put this bullshit to you. <laughs> all right. There will always be tension. Yeah. Because if you were at home all day, every day, you'd be like, get the fuck out and go on social media. You know <laughs> yeah. you would. Yeah. Uh, and look, we love Chris. Um, <laughs> but no matter what you do, there'll be tension. And remember that when someone says, go and do this, or you should be doing this, or come here and do this, that's what they want. That's their values, not yours. Mm. So if your question was, how do you balance a relationship being an entrepreneur? I'm the wrong fucking person to ask. <laughs> um, because I'm probably one of the hardest people to be in a relationship with. Like my wife, she'd have every award that is going in the history of this planet. She's solid. She's steady. She's dependable. She lets me be me. She, she should be given every award I ever get. I, I got an award for, um, on Clubhouse. She should get that award. Um, some of us, some friends of mine, we've talked about writing a book about being married to an entrepreneur because it probably is quite a unique thing. Mm. But I think accepting people for who they are, if you, you are asking me for some of my, let's not call this advice. Let's just call this <laughs> Rob talking shit. <laughs> Rob's rants, Rob's thoughts, Rob's musings. There you go. I like that better. We'll love it. Yeah, because I don't give relationship advice because I think in relationships, we're all finding our way. Um, if I can say, you know, I've been with my wife a long time and she's put up with some shit and I've put up with some shit. Um, but when we communicate well and we express how we feel, even when it's really fucking scary to do so, um, and we try and meet in the middle somewhere whereby what she needs, I can give her and what I need, I can give her. We usually do all right. Like I hate holidays. She loves holidays. I love traveling to go for work vacations and doing mentoring. So I took her around all around all these nice locations around the world and did mentoring and work vacations. And she was able to holiday and we took our parents and yeah. stuff like that. So that was a good meet in the middle. And she let me do that for 12 years before she banned me from mentoring abroad. <laughs> so I got, I got 12 years out. Um, but look, the, you are going to be the most attractive to your partner. You are going to be the best kind of person for your partner. You're going to keep them the longest if you are truly authentic to who you are. And if they don't like it, what are they doing with you in the first place? Now, that is not my permission for everyone to go home and go, you know, it's my way because it's not. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you've got to find out what's important to them and try and give it to them. And they've got to find out what's important to you and try and give it to you. And there's got to be some kind of compromise, sacrifice, meeting in the middle, whatever. Actually, sacrifice is the wrong word because you can do it both. Yeah. You can have a holiday and a, a mentoring or work trip as an example of a way to compromise it's not a sacrifice to go to dubai and cayman and yeah. all these places but um yeah i mean so many people have given relationship advice 
they've been divorced three times or they'll be divorced in a year because, you know, relationships are hard. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> well, no, because it, it, it's, it's really interesting because... By the way, me and my wife are good. We're really good yeah, at the moment. Okay. But, you know, like... When lockdown happened, she knew I needed to go and, you know, get. I, I, I did 16 hours a day for three months after the lockdown happened. Now, by the way, I'll sometimes do 16 hours a month or 16 hours in three months. Because I'm, you know, people are always, I'm like throwing my words back in my face. Oh, Rob, you wrote Life Leverage, or, you know, um, you should be outsourcing that or, you know, whatever. But I reserve the right to change my life whenever the fuck I want. And I go through these cycles of loving starting a new business and getting in there and getting it launched and then going and traveling the world with my son and then building a team and letting the team run it and stepping back and then having a few weeks and then going, I'm bored. Now I'm going to build something else. And I decided when the lockdown happened that I would not be at the destiny of something external. And I, de I decided that we needed to move quicker than everyone else in our industry. So I got up at, 3 a.m. every morning, made a coffee and worked through till 9, 10, 11 at night. I smashed it out for quite a long time. It's unsustainable, by the way. And I, I took a step back, but that's why we're still there. That's why we're still profitable. That's why we're still doing well. And I learned a lot from that. And my wife was cool with that because she knew that needed to be done. Mm. And so that's why she's great. Yeah. You've got to do what you've got to do, but bring people with you on the journey. Communication's key, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's the thing. And you're right, you can be full on here, and then other times you can step back. The key is to know when to dial up or dial down, yeah. isn't it? In any relationship, in any work, or in, or in anything. And Just you, before you move on, yes. being present. Like, probably one of the biggest things I wrestle with is being present. Yeah. Like, these are great, because I'm normally present, although I'm looking at watch going, I'm <laughs> nine minutes late for my next mentoring session, but that's fine, we'll sort that out. But... Um, like your partner won't mind if they're if you are away as long as you're present when you're with them, yeah. like fully present, like you're into them. But we're not, are we? We're there's the phone. Got to think about that. Got that email. Got that distraction. I think being present is one of the hardest things for anyone to do. I mean, you know, monks and gurus meditate for this mm -hmm. fifteen hours a day to control their mind to stay in the present. Yeah. But thinking about what we fucked up, which is past, and thinking about what we've got to do that's scary, which is future. So even if you can't give your partner as much time as they would want, if you give them fully present time, you'll be good. Yeah, great advice. Great advice there. Fully it's not present. advice. I don't give relationship advice. Great. I do <laughs> a not. Great, a great musings. <laughs> a great, Moore's musings. A great perspective from Mr. Moore, <laughs> shall we say, that I think will help many people who, myself included. I'm very lucky to be mentored by Rob, actually, and um, he's made a massive difference to my life and to Chris's life as well, so a big thank you. Thank you. Um, so you talked about what you've, what you've learned about yourself through the, well, you said you learned a lot during this really difficult past 12, 15 months with having to sort the business out in a different way. What were those biggest things that you learned about yourself, do you think, during well, that time? Well, difficult, but also exciting. I'll tell you what I've learned about myself is sometimes when something looks really freaking hard, I'll, go, I'll often go through this phase of delusion where, nah, like I did with the pandemic. Mm. But I can be forgiven for that because I think most of us at some stage before it happened thought, 
nah, I mean, they're not going to lock us down. It's not going to be quarantine unless you're really in the middle of it. But I'll often experience a moment of delusion of something that's really challenging. But thankfully, over time, the amount of time that I'm in the mode of delusion has gone right down, right down. And I can pull myself out of delusion mode really quickly and go into solution mode, from delusion to solution. Mm. Um, and what I used to do is delusion for ages and then blame, complain, beat myself up, feel really shit about the situation. Um, and the lockdown was actually quite exciting for me. And, you know, I don't want to talk about people dying and, you know, the third world and India. I respect the fact that lockdown's really fucking hard for some people. You're asking me. Yeah. I'm not disrespecting anyone else by no, saying no. this. You're asking my experience. 100%. But once I realised it was happening and I came to terms with it very quickly, it was a very exciting prospect to go and beat this biggest challenge to our business when I knew half of our competitors were going to get wiped out. I managed to get a sense of excitement, not in terms of, my competitors are all going to go under a sense of I have a chance to stand up and show the world what I'm about and to do hard things and to step up when other people hide away. That's very exciting. Mm. And I do have that in me, this desire to prove usefulness and value and success, the harder it is. I have to go through a quick stage of delusion and a quick stage of, oh, why me? Fuck this before but i think that's the normal stage um i think i knew that about myself but i've learned that about myself um the next thing i've learned about myself is all the times over the last 15 years when i've done things for the fear or concern or in anticipation of the reactions of other people it has not been truly authentic and I am now about the straightest line. I've learned so much communication. I've read all the books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and all these books. Not for me. Now I want the straight line. Like, if there's a problem, let's find the problem. I love you, but at the moment you're pissing me off because we need to find the problem. And we're going to find the problem, and there's going to be no bullshit. And then afterwards we'll go for a drink. So park all your baggage, and let's get to the problem, and then to the solution really fast. That is actually how I am as an entrepreneur dancing around and posturizing and worrying about offending people and all that. I'm really over that because life's too fucking short, too short. I am just took upstairs this A4, A3 A sheet of card. And it's called Your Life in Weeks. And I've just taken upstairs on my PA to frame it, but without a glass bit on the frame. And you order it online. You go to Your Life in Weeks. And what you do is you put in your age and you get sent back this A3-ish portrait piece of card. And it's got all empty squares for how long you're likely to live. But how old you are, they're filled in in black. And every week you have to fill in the square. Nice. I like that. So every, every hour I spend, oh, you were right. I better not say this in caps Guess I upset someone or oh, better be careful doing this, this, and this, and this, and this is a, is a dot in that week that I'm wasting. Now, that's not my excuse to piss people off, to upset an offense. I don't do it intentionally. And sometimes you do have to be careful and considered and measured in how you approach a situation. 
but I also know how I'm useful. And everyone who knows me will tell you how I am useful is going straight into the problem and not dancing around it for ages. Other people are better at that. And, you know, I've got some great team members upstairs who they're, they're more sensitive, they're more considered and measured, and that's great. And that's not me. So what I've learned about myself is I am the most useful to the world and useful to my company and useful to my MD and useful to my business partner and useful to all my staff and useful to all the people who listen to me on social media when I am straight line and direct. And I'm telling you exactly how it is, raw, unfiltered. Um, and that also pisses the most people off. <laughs> and that's the, that's the, the, the dichotomy. That's, that's the mm. challenge. Like, no, no one really messages me, messages me and goes, Rob, that was a very good balanced piece you did on the disruptive entrepreneur. I just get the Rob, you were on fire, ranting, complaining. I love your rants. Holy shit, you were you went off on one there. That's all the feedback I get. So I've also learned that about myself. So on that, then, what do the haters hate the most, then, Rob? The haters hate the most about me that I'm still here. Still kicking, punching, screaming, making money, being disruptive. That's what they hate about me the most. They can't stand that I'm winning. Can't stand that I'm successful. Because for, you know, 10, 15 years or three months or however long they've been hating, they've just been sitting there hoping that I'll fail, hoping that I'll be wrong instead of fixing their own shit. Um. So, yeah, I mean, they're not going to admit that, are they? You know, they're going to say they hate my face or my hair or my um, unbalanced commentary or my rants or, or whatever. Um, now, look, let me just qualify one thing here because I am actually quite balanced when it comes to haters. And that is that um, not all haters are haters. Some haters are critics that you could have handled better and they end up hating you because you turned them. Some haters are people who actually have got useful feedback that you should listen to. Um, so I'm not one of these that's like, fuck the haters, without first looking at them going, okay, are you hurt? Are you right? Um, but I, you know, I often ask my guests, what's one thing wrong with the world that you'd like to change? And um, interestingly, John Demartini said, there is nothing wrong with the world. It is exactly how it should be, which is a, a very philosophical approach. <laughs> But I think there's too many people gobshiting off on social media without thinking about what they're writing and how it could hurt someone. And what fucking right do they have to do that? And what have they done in their life that's useful other than sitting on their ass, eating Doritos in their dirty wife fronts, bitching about <laughs> everyone else? I think there's too much of that. Yeah. And I think those people should do something useful. And if they think that criticising others is useful, go do your research, go find legitimate things that you can give people legitimate feedback on and find a way to communicate it to them to get them to change because no one's going to change if you hate on them. They're just going to, you know. Mm. So I think that's, that's where social media has got a lot to answer for. And that's where we can all stand up and be more responsible by being measured and considered. You know, a lot of my posts are measured and considered and I think about them a lot and people don't understand how much I think about them a lot. And I try and be accurate with what I say. I mean, of course, you know, I'm not perfect, but um, just people are so inaccurate, so inaccurate across all social media. Um, you know, like one, I put a post up. It, the, the post was so innocent. It was like, everything is your fault. Read that again. Everything is your fault. 
and, and he said it was sanctimonious bollocks, um, which actually is not. But OK. And then he said, and then you go and attack everyone on social media. No, I don't attack everyone. One, it's not everyone. And two, it's not an attack. But you can't make your post without them saying that. But they can do that and not want you to reply. I mean, mm. who the fuck do they think they are? Um, go and do something useful. I think the world would be a lot better place if they did. Uh, and if that's what they want to do for a living, because that's just probably quite a good living, go and do a load of research on a load of people you're pissed off about. Go and find some things that are useful to them to improve their business and go and pitch them that you found all this stuff and will they give you a commission and you'll actually earn money being a critic. Be fucking entrepreneurial about it instead of being a wanker. <laughs> There's always money to be had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always but every, everything's a business opportunity. Yeah. Value. Are you valuable? And I get a lot of my self-worth about being valuable. I know I'm valuable. So you've got to be valuable. And what would you say to people that say to you, Rob, well, it's all about your ego. It's got a massive ego. You just want to put yourself out there. And does that bother you? Does it ever hurt you? Or do you just go, mm, maybe it's a bit of truth in that. And actually, I'm good with that. Oh, I mean, how long have we got to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, every human being has an ego. Absolutely. So uh, if people are saying some things I do are ego driven, there's going to be part truth in that. But if someone says it's all about ego, that's inaccurate. Mm because it's also about information, education, inspiration, revenue. You know, there's lots of other factors. Um, and by the way, um, you know, profit is, is quite detached from ego. Turnover is very linked to ego. Yeah. But profit is very detached from ego. Often to make yourself more profitable, you've got to get rid of your ego mm. and got to get rid of a lot of wastage that your ego actually wants to hire. For example, we had a PR company for years. And I made the decision to let them go for a while to challenge my, my own ego. Because what's the one thing that you'd want to hold? Your own PR. Yeah. But that proved that I can make non-ego based decisions. I've never spent anywhere near the money on my own vertical and my own personal brand as I have all my trainers and all of our other ads mm. to not want to be accused of just, you know, oh, let's just spend tens of thousands on Rob's brand and ego. I don't really spend any money on brand. So, um, but sometimes, you know, do I have sometimes a little bit of a chip on my shoulder? Do I have things I want to prove to the world? Yes. Um, I think a lot of successful people do, not, put, not putting myself in the bracket of some people who are more successful than me. But so is that ego? Yes. But ego is also fear, hiding away, playing small, being jealous, bitter, envious. I mean, the ego manifests in so many different ways. And I'm not really any of that. I don't hide away, really hide away from anything. Um, so, you know, people perceive ego as, you know, gregariousness or narcissism or oh, it's all about me. Well, I mean, someone's social media page is all about them because it's their social media page. But I still try and make my social media page not all about me. You don't see a lot of I, I me, my, I, me, my, I did this, me, me, me. It's often content. Um, so is some of my content driven by parts of my ego? Yes. Is some of it driven by parts of my ego no yeah yeah and to scale up and grow rob what's the one thing that you think you would need to change or develop in order to say go international which i know you've been talking about for for some time hmm. well i suppose if i knew it knew it i might already be <laughs> so that's a hard one to say um i mean things that i think might limit my growth or have limited my growth and therefore others Definitely, I'm um, your threshold for pressure and stress. So 
there's been things we've transcended which have been quite stressful to us. And when we've transcended them, we've come out the other side richer for it. Mm. But, you know, sometimes Mark and I have looked ourselves in the eyes on a couple of big things we've got going on and gone, fucking hell, Mark, you're quite grey now. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, this 100-unit development has battered me and I need a two-year holiday. He'll be back. We'll be back. <laughs> you know, but the point is, it's like, you know, look at the president's. And then after their term, even just one term, how grey they go. But presidents can handle pressure and stress that smaller people can't. So the more pressure and stress I can handle, the bigger I can grow. That's definitely um, appetite for risk. So I definitely had a greater appetite for risk when I was 26 years old than I do when I'm 42. And sometimes mm. I'm trying to tune back into that. I mean, I've got so much more to lose now. You know, I've got a reputation, a brand, a lot of money. I've got my family, you know, my kids, all the mm. stuff that they want, the private school. I had none of that when I started. I was nothing to lose, nothing to lose. Um, and now I've got a lot to lose. And I have to be careful that I don't let that become an, an illusory trap um, for growth. So a lot, I think that a lot of these ceilings for growth are imposed in our own mind. Um, you know, I mean, some practical things. We've got to improve the conversion on our ads. Then we can spend more money on the ads. We've got to track everything a, a lot more accurately and in more real time. And we're better than most of the companies I know. They don't even have management accounts. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're 10 days after month end management accounts every month. I mean, for us, that's a massive thing. We'd be six months behind on management accounts. I mean, so at least we're, we're only 10 days away from knowing what's going on in our business. Um, you know, we get our balance sheets pretty timely. Um, so we're much better than we were. We've got a load of KPIs. It's just a lot of them are out of date, but I'm pushing through getting them up to date. So yeah. um, the, the, the more handle I've got on all the data through the line, um, you know, the quicker I can make decisions. I really believe speed of decision is just so vital. And um, you can learn to make decisions quicker based on intuition, experience and removing a fear and having access to information at hand and ready, mm. you can make quicker decisions. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos will have to make quick decisions based on a load of reports from a load of people. You know, people have advisors to advise them on things so they can make quick decisions. And, um, you know, I like making quick decisions because I don't like wasting time. And the better you get at making quick decisions that you're confident in, I think you'll be able to scale a lot more as well. Brilliant. Excellent. So final question, Rob, what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Well, being brave is facing things that are scary to you and doing them anyway. Being bold is being the truest and most full-out version of yourself. And being brilliant is honouring your strengths and um, putting those strengths out to the world. Excellent. Thank you. So 100th episode. Rob, you have been fabulous. Was I allowed to swear on your podcast? Well, it's a bit late now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you can, you can edit it out. I would like the you swearing. Can out. You can We're beat me out. Authentically wrong. <laughs> As always, the inevitable disruptive entrepreneur. You heard it here on Brave, Bold, Brilliant, 100th episode. Thank Thanks you, for Rob. having me. I'm really um, privileged to be your 100th guest. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.